We welcome you back into another edition of the BrownZone.com Zone Coverage Podcast. My name is Andy Bullbarch with AM 930 WEOL and 100.3 FM. And as always, I am joined alongside Scott Petrak, Browns beat reporter with the Chronicle Telegram, the Medina Gazette, and of course, BrownZone.com. Here's what we have lined up for today's show. We'll get Scott's major takeaways from that really difficult 38-24 loss to the Arizona Cardinals on Sunday. We'll talk about where that ranks amongst the worst losses of the season well not to go too far down the downtrodden pass path <laughs> but you know these are the kinds of things that happen when you lose a game you are really supposed to win we'll take a look at what the last two weeks of the season could potentially mean and we'll also scratch the surface on Sunday's game against Baltimore the last home game of the season Scott how are you I'm good Andy how you doing well, not bad, and why? Well, unfortunately, we've had a few too many conversations like this, and I think way more than we expected sure. to have talking about a Browns loss. But, Scott, we'll start with your three major takeaways from Sunday's loss in the desert. Yeah, I'm going to start with Freddie Kitchens' uncertain job security. Um, obviously, that law, that kind of loss is not good for a coach that is considered embattled anyway, and there were doubts about his future, when you lose a game like that and everything that went into it, Jarvis Landry barking in, barking at him at the sideline, and then we'll talk about all these things, but you know, questions about the effort and Joe Batonio saying they came out flat. Um, it just makes you wonder if Freddie Kitchens is going to be back. And, uh, you know, I, I think at least my perception changed to some degree given, on, given a, how that game went down on Sunday. Takeaway number two would be just how bad the defense was. Um, I know they're missing guys. Miles Garrett, Olivier Vernon, Eric Murray, Morgan Burnett, Jermaine Whitehead at safety. It's no excuse for giving up 299 yards in the first half and 226 rushing yards for the game and four touchdowns to Kenyon Drake. You know, when you look talk about effort and how ugly it gets, that's how it starts, when you can't stop the run. And it feels humiliating, and the game gets away from you, and you just feel like you have no control over the game. And that was obvious from the jump Sunday. And it's disappointing, it's embarrassing, it's all those things. And you wonder if they're going to be able to get it fixed, what this means for coordinator Steve Wilkes' future. Um, it just shouldn't be that bad. Despite missing pieces, it shouldn't be that bad. And then my third takeaway is the playoff picture, just because I know fans have been clinging to hope, the players had been clinging to hope. And while the last mathematical possibility has not been eliminated, um, their playoff chances went down the drain Sunday with a loss to a three-win team that had lost six in a row. And you talk about must-wins, and you talk about needing to make statements and winning games you should win, and this was all those. And they went out, and they, not only did they lose – you know, they got embarrassed, and I'm going to keep using that word. And and I picked the Browns to win, but I never felt good about it. Like, it felt to me like a game that they were going to go lose. But I thought, well, maybe they'll rise to the occasion. It does mean more to the Browns than it means to Arizona. Playoffs are on the line. And then to go out and play like they did. Um, it's, it's an indictment on the whole team, and we'll get back to it. It's an indictment on Freddie Kitchens and his coaching staff. It certainly is, and I think we've heard a lot of that over the last couple of days yeah. about how if there were some people who were on the fence before about Freddie, a lot of people have come over to the other side, and we'll dive into that in a little bit. But you, you talked about how this was an embarrassing loss. 
I don't know, Scott, that there's another way of describing yeah. it. And I think we've heard a lot of people say the very same thing. Where do you think this loss ranks amongst the worst losses of the season? Yeah, this is one of those games that I wonder if Browns fans enjoy or they hate the, you know, let's rank the worst of the worst. Um, I'm torn between this loss and the loss in Pittsburgh because they had momentum going into that Pittsburgh game. They had a chance to sweep the season series. You know, it's a big game. All that that went into the trip to Pittsburgh. And then they had the 10 nothing lead, blow it, can't beat Devlin Duck Hodges. Um, I, I'm going to go with that loss still, that Steelers loss, just because it felt bigger to me. If you win that game, not that you control your playoff destiny, but you're right there. Right there was still on pace to get the 10 wins if they win out. I think that changes what happens in Arizona because the vibe around the team is better. Um, but if you just looked at what happened on the field, they played much worse against Arizona. There's no doubt about it. Arizona's, even with their healthy pieces, is not as good a team as Pittsburgh. I mean, Pittsburgh beat Arizona the week before. So I'm going to stick with Pittsburgh, but that does not let anybody off the hook for what happened in Arizona. And it was a failure on all three levels. You know, you hear coaches talk all the time about we need to play complementary football, which means offense, defense, and special teams. All three were bad. Odell drops the ball. Baker throws an interception in the red zone. Ricky Seals-Jones gets a ball taken away from him on another one of those seam routes that the tight ends can't seem to hang on to. Uh, the defense we talked about. Austin Seibert misses a field goal with the chance to get within one score in the fourth quarter. I mean, it's a total failure at you know, the worst possible moment. Yeah, and if you were to take a look at some other candidates too, you know, the opening day loss against Tennessee – that was a nightmare because I think it put a lot of fans into a bit of a shell shock mode because the expectations were so high. But the difference there is they recovered. Yeah, I think the Denver loss is another one that stands out sure. because that was another game that they just weren't supposed to lose. But it's very difficult to argue against your pick of Pittsburgh because you got the feeling that when they lost that game, they really lost any hope of going to right. the playoffs because, as we've continued to say the last couple of weeks, while mathematically – they're alive. It felt like realistically that was it when they lost to Pittsburgh. Yeah, you're right. And and you make a good point. That opening loss is deflating in the Denver one, but it did feel like they had almost recovered, right? They'd never quite recovered, but they came close. And if they'd beaten Pittsburgh in Pittsburgh, then I would have felt like they had recovered, right? They would have been back to 500. They would have been right there. And it's Pittsburgh always means more. So when it doesn't get done against Pittsburgh, that sticks with me longer. Um, but, you know, if you want to play devil's advocate and argue for the Cardinals' loss being the worst, it could be the loss that breaks the – is the final straw for Freddie Kitchens. And maybe that's the loss that leads to another upheaval within the organization. And if that's the case, you can definitely look at that as being a worse loss and a certainly more meaningful loss. Absolutely. And we mentioned we'd get back to Freddie Kitchens. Well – I think you and I speak with a lot of the same people because it seems like they're on one end of the spectrum or the other. You have a lot of people, maybe they were just kind of caught in the moment of Sunday's embarrassing loss, and they say, look, you've got to fire Freddie. You've got to do it right now. You have other people that are saying, you know what? 
You've got to at least wait another year before you begin the wash, rinse, repeat cycle, which is unfortunately a cycle that this organization has been going through, it seems like, year after year or at least every other year. And, you know, they say, what, the true definition of insanity is doing the same thing (laughs) over and over and over again and expecting different results. But I think this organization is in a real tough spot here, Scott, just because it's really hard to argue against either side here. I think they'd love to give Freddie another year, but he really hasn't given them many votes of confidence right. in recent weeks to, to keep him around for another year. No, it's it's inter- it's really interesting, and there's a lot that goes into this, right? And I think, especially in what we do, we tend to get caught up in what's going on on the outside, right? Media talk, speculation and talk radio and – there's obviously a groundswell for firing Freddie, right? That's that's how I feel, and and I don't think it's limited to media. My buddies text me, you know, all the time, and it's fire Freddie and these text chains and what have you. So I don't think that's I think that's understandable, and I get it. And I would not argue at all that Freddie's done a great job in his first year as a head coach, and we could spend plenty of time going over the mistakes that he's had each week on and off the field, right? Whether it's play calling and this and clock management and challenges and the T-shirt he wore and how he handles press conferences. There's a lot there that, if you want to, you can criticize about Freddie. Having said that, he's a first-year time head coach. There are going to be growing pains. And I'm sure I've said this on here before, but I really feel strongly about this. If you believe he's going to learn from his mistakes – then that's fine to bring him back, right? If you're the Haslam's and if you're John Dorsey and you say, yes, he did this, yes, he did that, you know, having the play calling duties and the head coaching duties were a lot for a first-year guy, but he'll get better. We really feel he'll call a better game in year two and we feel like he'll deal with the players better and he'll deal with the media, all those things. If you think he'll learn from that and he's strong enough and he's smart enough and strong enough and has strong enough character, then that's fine to bring him back. But if you don't believe that and you have doubts that he will be better in year two, and it's the same with the player, right? You watch a player is a rookie and you go, man, he just doesn't have what it takes. Or, yeah, I see enough. There's glimpses there. I think he'll get better with better coaching, with better, with more time. If you don't think Freddie's going to be better year two, you can't keep him just for the sake of continuity and stability. It just doesn't make any sense because then there's doubts in your head the season goes gets off to a rough start. You're thinking about firing him, right? It, it, there's just it's that's the wrong way to enter a season, and we've seen that plenty of times before. We saw it with Hugh Jackson going into year two, and then remarkably going into year three when he was one and thirty-one. You knew the like it was just a matter of time. And if you're a stronger organization, you can say after like say they want to keep Freddie, you can say after hey, this is our guy. We felt right about it twelve months ago. We feel right about it now. We have no doubt about it. Right, he's our guy, and the Steelers can do that. And I think people go, okay, they're probably going to be right. There's the Browns don't have any collateral built up. There's no goodwill built up, so you question John Dorsey's decision. You question the Haslam's decisions with every hire they make. Right, so it's a tough spot to be in. It's a tough spot as an organization, and there's, the only way you get out of the spot is to finally win some games and build up some trust. But they're not there. It's a really tough spot for Freddie Kitchens. It's, you know, we've talked about this. Coming in as a rookie coach with the expectations he had was a really tough spot for anybody to come in, let alone a coach who'd never been a head coach before. He'd called games for eight total games in his career. He'd never been a coordinator except for those eight games as an interim coordinator. 
So all this was kind of going into this. And the problem with hiring a first-time head coach is that it's so easy to second-guess and to start thinking you made the wrong hire, whether or not you're the Haslam's or you're the media or you're the fans, because there's nothing to point to and say, yes, this guy's going to figure it out. If you hire, and Mike McCarthy's the name, right, because he's won a Super Bowl and he's got the Green Bay ties and he's out there now. If you'd hired Mike McCarthy last year and they have the same, the same season happens, nobody's talking about firing Mike McCarthy because he has a track record, because you trust his plan moving forward. But there's just none of that built into a first-time head coach, especially within this organization, which if I were the Haslam's, and John Dorsey, I don't think I could ever hire a first-time head coach. Like it, You'd have to hire – if you did, it would have to be somebody you felt was transcendent, a Sean McVay type that would change – you felt he was a guy that was going to change your culture and change your team. And maybe Freddie turns out to be that guy. He certainly doesn't look like it right through 14 games. Um, but it would just be much safer, and I think not, – not, it's not only safer. It would just be – I think it'd be the better move for your organization because you get rid of some of those doubts that just linger and come back at the first sign of trouble just because of how bad this organization has been. And one of the things that really pops out to me when you bring the coaching situation to the forefront here, when things are going wrong, you can certainly nitpick all day long, whether it be time management, whether it be play calling. But when you hear effort come into play, that's when you really start to worry. Kareem Hunt was one of those guys questioning the team's effort. You get the feeling that lack of effort has come up a lot more recently with this team? Yeah, uh, yeah, you you hear it. And I, and I think people look for it more when the season's going the way it is and you get to the end of a season and the playoffs are you know, either hanging by a thread or that thread's been cut off. Um, you look for signs of not giving 100% effort. And it's tough for me. I, you know, I, people are so quick to say, this team quit. Or, you know, look at that play. The guy didn't make a tackle. Therefore, he's not given 100%. And, and I have a hard time with that because these guys play hard. You know, they put their bodies on the line. It, it's difficult for me to criticize like that and to say, oh, a coach didn't have his team ready to play. I'm not saying it doesn't happen. But I, I needed there to be glaring examples. And personally, I didn't see that Sunday. Yes, the defense was awful. Yes, the tackling was awful. I'm not ready to say that's because the effort was poor. But when Kareem Hunt says says it and makes a point of it, and you know, I was standing right there, and I believe the first time he mentioned an effort was I, I just asked him, and I think this is how it went down, I just asked him, why can't you guys figure it out on offense? You have all these pieces, right? Why isn't it better? I mean, they've, they've gone seven of, the, seven of the 14 games. They haven't scored 20 points. It's just mind-boggling. And he says, well, we have the pieces, but we don't always play as a team. We don't always give full effort, or whatever the quote was. And he said, oh, okay, well, he brought it, the effort up out of nowhere. And then he, the follow-up question from someone was, well, you said something about effort. And he says, yeah, I, I didn't think we gave 110% through every play, you know, to the end of every play. So that does raise red flags. And, you know, maybe it's human nature to not give 110% when you're getting your butt kicked on a Sunday and you know your playoff chances are out the window. But it's not a good sign. It doesn't reflect well on the coaches. It certainly doesn't reflect well on the players. And Kareem didn't single anybody out, and he talked more of it being a team-wide thing. 
And I don't know if that's better or worse, right? Like, if there's one guy, okay, you know what the problem is. If it's just an overall, guys came out flat. Like, I always struggle with that argument, too. Like, how do you come out flat? And what exactly does that mean? And are you flat because you're down 14 nothing, or are you down 14 nothing because you're flat? Having said all that, it's worth monitoring. It's a bad sign when one of your players says it, and it doesn't reflect well upon your coach. And, you know, I got so caught up in that last answer when we were talking about Freddie. I did want to say this, that, you know, the report from NFL Network before the game saying, unless something horrific, unless – Barring a horrific collapse, I believe was the wording, the Browns want to bring back Freddie Kitchens, and they want him to have success. First of all, that's a little kind of nebulous report. Of course they want him to have success, but the message was, to me, let's calm down the speculation. If everything goes okay, we want to bring him back for year two, and that's kind of the plan. Well, you can argue that 38-24 in the desert is a horrific collapse, when you throw in everything around it. So personally, I went from thinking Freddie's coming back maybe 55-45 to now I'm thinking he's not coming back, whether it's 45-55, 40-60. And I'm not sure one game should matter all that much, but that's kind of how the perception felt from how, how severe that loss was. You know, games, of course, are not won and lost on paper, but on paper – it appears as though we could be looking at one and one over the next couple of weeks here. Now, what that would do is that would put them at seven and nine overall. And that's a tough pill for a lot of people yeah. around here to swallow because that actually translates into regression sure. from a year ago, which is something I think nobody saw coming. And I think that puts them in an even more difficult spot. So if they do go one and one, which a lot of people expect them to do, with the Ravens this coming week mm-hmm. and the Bengals to finish things up. Do you think that's enough to pull the trigger on a coaching change to know that you were a half game worse than you were a season ago, yet you made all these moves to substantially better yourself, at least on paper? Right. Well, well, that's the biggest factor, right, is that you felt the roster was so much better and that you know, I think people felt the floor was 9-7. and seven. So if you get to 7-9, and nine, that's two games worse. Um so I, I think those are huge factors. I think the expectations within the organization, forget the media expectations, forget the fans' expectations. John Dorsey thought they were going to be a playoff team, right? At least that's what I think he thought. So to not get there and to not get there by missing by two or three games, that's a big deal. And you're right, 7-8-1 and one to 7-9 is a step back. Now, I personally think so much more goes into a head coach than one season's record, right? I mean, is there a big difference between 7-9 and nine and 8-8? Eight and eight? Not. I mean, in the grand scheme of things, no. Um, you know, it also felt like this year they'd made, you know, they made that huge jump from 0-16 to 7-8-1. Maybe this was the year where you plateaued a little bit. And, and I think the progression of teams, that's natural to happen. But nobody thought it would happen to this team. And the way it happened with the ugly, ugly losses, the lack of offense, the questions about the play calling – to me, those are the bigger factors than the actual record. I could live with 7-9 seven, seven if you felt like Baker was getting better and you felt like they were using Odell right. Like in some, There's another reason for losses. They were losing a bunch of shootouts and the defense stunk or whatever it was. But that's not how it happened this year. And there's been so many areas that have been underachieving and disappointments that to me that's the bigger factor than if he finishes 7-9 or 6-10 or 8-8. Eight eight. Having said that, 
the record does matter. And if they get to 7-9, and nine, I think there will be a legitimate, serious discussion inside that building about what to do with Freddie. And that, that doesn't – if they went 8-8, eight eight, I think they'd have the same discussion, right? But at 7-9, you lose to Baltimore, you beat Cincinnati – I think it's a I think it's a discussion. I think it's a decision, and I'm not even convinced it's one that's made the Monday after the season. Maybe it takes a few days. We've the Browns have been their history is they fire the coach on the way home, right from the final road trip, or right after the game at home, or the next morning. I could envision a scenario where it does take some time to kind of sort through all this and decide whether or not to fire Freddie, assuming. Nothing crazy happens in the next two games. They don't go lose 50 to nothing to Baltimore on Sunday at home and the fans boo Freddie off the field. That changes things. Yeah, that changes things drastically. What would also change things drastically is that they somehow pulled off an upset on Sunday too. So looking ahead to this game against Baltimore, clearly there isn't a whole lot of confidence for many to pick them to pull off this upset. Is there anywhere in this matchup against the Ravens where you think that they might have a little bit of an edge? Well... Not really. Okay. <laughs> um, no, yeah. but here, here's the two here's the two things I do think the Browns have going for them. Number one, they went up and beat Baltimore in Baltimore week four, and they were basically the same rosters. I mean, Baltimore the same roster. They've added Marcus Peters, which is a big addition in their secondary. Lamar's playing. Lamar Jackson's playing out of his head. He was playing well before the Browns game, but he's been at an MVP level obviously at, since then. Um, but the Browns do have the confidence from that. They went on the road and beat them. They contained Lamar in that offense for a good portion of that game. So you have that to build on. You're playing at home. And I'm one to believe who believes NFL teams don't win 11 in a row. Like, that's hard to do. They don't win 8 in a row. They don't win 10 in a row. So Baltimore's won 10 in a row. Since the Browns beat them in Week 4, they've won 10 in a row. So maybe they're due for a loss, right? Maybe they're due for a letdown. They're not even playing close games, right? They're they're drilling everybody they play pretty much. So, you know, maybe they have a letdown. Maybe the Browns get a lead and it's a dogfight. And, you know, we see one of those games where everything goes right and the Browns are able to pull off the upset. Like, I can see it happening, but if it's going to happen, it's going to feel like a fluke to me because Baltimore's way better. Like I said, Lamar, I mean, when you watch what Kyler Murray and Kenyon Drake did to that defense – how are they going to? How's the defense going to stop Lamar Jackson and Mark Ingram? Like those are better players. They're having better years. So, uh, you know, I'm not going to. Maybe I am going to say it would be a miracle for I think for the Browns to pull that upset. Um, but if it's going to happen, I think it happens because they kind of make a last stand, right? We're going to throw all. We're going to put all of it into it. We like our game plan. Um, it's at home. It's Baltimore. Let's go out with a bang and see if they can pull it off. I just question whether or not they have the horses on defense, especially missing Miles Garrett, missing those safeties like we talked about. Now, if Olivia Vernon can come back this week close to 100%, that helps a ton. Same with Eric Murray. He's a key piece missing at safety. Um, But the way Lamar Jackson's playing, it's really hard to pick him or to pick against him, especially when the Browns defense hasn't been playing well at all. Very difficult to dispute any of that. I guess the last question for today's show would be, let's just say that dream scenario plays out and they're able to pull off the Mm -hmm. victory. 
Uh, whether that would keep them alive in the playoff race or not, that remains to be sure. seen because there are so many other outside factors they can't really influence at this point. Right. But you know, what do you think a win does over a team like Baltimore, considering how well they've played? What do you think that does going into Week 17? Yeah, that would be huge. Uh, you know, I mean, not only does it turn the tide after that Arizona loss, I think it speaks to if Freddie still has a team. Right, I mean, for them to come out and beat Baltimore would mean that Freddie has their attention and that they're still playing hard. And it would also mean that they figured out some stuff, right? Because they're not going to beat Baltimore. I mean, I'm, I said it'd be a fluke, but if they beat Baltimore, it would be because they played well, you know? And they would figure out some stuff on offense. Maybe Nick Chubb has one of those days that he's had, and he had a big one in Baltimore. So it would be huge for Freddie. It'd be huge for the organization. Then you have a chance to go five and one in the division, which they've never done. You sweep Baltimore, um, you know. You split with Pittsburgh. You have the chance to sweep Cincinnati. Like then you can start. You know, Freddie's kind of flailing right now, and he's pointing to good statistics. Right, we have the leading rusher. We got a thousand yard receiver. A statistic that you can really hang your hat on is five and one in the AFC North, and you win your last five home games. Like those are two things that I think you can rally an organization around. So, yeah, it's huge, and it'd be huge if they could pull it off. Then I think there's no worry about them going to Cincinnati and winning. You know, if they lose Arizona, lose to Baltimore, then you question, will they be up to go play Cincinnati? You get to 8-8, eight and eight, and while it's not the end of the world, 8-8's eight eight's better than 7-9, right? You, know, you don't have another losing season. You stop that streak of losing seasons. So it, it would be huge, and it'd be a great way to reward the fans who have had such – a letdown this season, given the expectations and given how the team's performed. Yeah, that will be a heck of a note to close on at home for sure because, again, that's a game that, as you alluded to, nobody really expects them to win against a team that's got everything going for it right now. Scott, as always, a pleasure to catch up and do these. And, well, you and I have a few more of these to go here before we <laughs> close out the regular season. And, well, who knows what might come our way at the end of the regular season. Right now, it just seems like a bit of a toss-up. Yeah, I feel like we're going to be doing a few of these in January, Andy. That's how it feels. Yeah, it's, it's tough to dispute that for sure. But always a pleasure, Scott. We'll do this again next week. Perfect. Scott Scott Petrack with the Chronicle Telegram, the Medina Gazette, and, of course, brownzone.com. That's going to wrap things up on today's edition of the brownzone.com Zone Coverage Podcast. For Scott Petrack, this is Andy Bullbarch saying thank you again for tuning in, and we will talk to all of you again next week.